following Jesus for a number of years now. You're one of his disciples and uh, you've lived with him, you've talked with him, you've seen him. Uh, you've seen him preach to mighty crowds, you've seen him heal people, you've seen him calm raging storms, you've seen him feed over 5,000 people a couple of times now. You were there when you saw him heal the woman of a long line of illness that she'd had for bleeding for many, many years. You saw him cast out demons, you saw him heal tormented men, you see him even raise a young child to life. You were there. You've been in his presence now for a couple of years and you get the chance to ask him a question. What do you ask him? As you learn about Jesus, uh, you've been learning about yourself and you get this chance to ask him a question. Uh, What question would you ask him? Some financial advice. Jesus, I'd like to know how I can work out my best tax benefits so I can uh, get through this area a little bit better. Maybe some social advice. Uh, How can I impress my family? How can I have more friends? How can I be someone in the community that everyone likes? How about help with your health? What about what should I eat? What about my exercise? What do you ask him? What do you need most? What's your greatest need? Happiness? Security? Contentment? And what about here for our church? What's our greatest need? Uh, Finish this sentence in your head. The biggest need for Evans Head Wardell Presbyterian Church is... Okay, what's the one question that you'd ask Jesus? What do I need most? What do you need most? What do our churches need most? Well, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11. And you're going to have to open them up today because I haven't put it up on the screen for you. A slight remiss of mine as the week's gone on. Uh, Jane's going to come up and read to us Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through to 13. And listen for that question. Luke chapter 11, flip through your Bibles, find it. It's in the New Testament, it's in the Gospels. You go Matthew, Mark, Luke... And then John, if you got to John, you've gone too far. If you get to Acts, you've gone too far. Come back. Have a look at Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13, and find out what that one question is. Thanks, Paul. If you're reading on the Pew Bibles, it's uh, page 1042. Jesus teaching on prayer. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught the disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, 
Though he will not get up and give him the bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? May the Lord add his blessing to this reading. Thank you. What do I need most? Lord, teach me to pray. What do our churches need most? Lord, teach us to pray. I don't know whether you know how many times in the Gospels that the disciples actually, on their own initiative, ask a question of Jesus. This is it. The once and only on their own initiative. They ask questions within conversations, but this is the first one of their own initiative and the only one that they ask that's, re- that's recorded for us. And what do they ask? Lord, teach us to pray. If you think about it, if you're going to ask someone one question, you get one chance to ask a question, you probably ask the question that most is about them. That is, what they're best at, what sets them apart from everything else that they've done. Now remember, they've seen Jesus do amazing stuff. And here Jesus is praying and then they ask him, how do we pray, Lord? You see, they ask him the key thing about that person, the best thing that they do. You see, no one comes up to me and asks me how to sing. It just doesn't happen. As disciples of Jesus, they come up to him and ask him how to pray. Not teach us how to calm a storm, not teach us how to heal people, not even teach us how to preach, but they ask, teach us how to pray. You see, that's what we heard, didn't we, in, uh, as Joan read to us in verse 1 there. The disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, my guess is that these are Jewish guys. They already know how to pray. They've been praying all their lives, but what they didn't know was how to pray like Jesus. There was something about Jesus' prayer life that they just wanted to know, that they wanted to have. It's not ritual piety. It's not just rote learning. It's not mindless drone. It's not a formula of words. They knew all that sort of stuff because they'd grown up in it. But they wanted to know how to pray like Jesus. You see, they saw behind everything that Jesus did was prayer. They saw Jesus' life, his words, his actions, and replied, all of that was Jesus at prayer. You see, if you read through Luke, uh, Luke shows us that every key moment in Jesus' life, he prays before it. At his baptism, at the choosing of the twelve, at Gethsemane in in the garden, you'll find Jesus praying. 
You see, sometimes I think we think prayer is just preparation for the battle, but it actually thinks for Jesus that prayer is the battle. When in the Gospels do you see Jesus shedding drops of blood? You remember where? It's not as he comes into Pilate and he's belted around the head. It's not as he's walking up to Golgotha with a cross on his back. But it's in the Garden of Gethsemane as he's praying. Drops of blood came from Jesus as he was praying. It's when he's on his knee in fervent prayer. You see, prayer is the battle itself. Fervent, agonising, heartfelt prayer. And here in chapter 11 we see Jesus praying again. And the disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray as you pray. Teach us to walk with God like you do. Teach us to have the kind of relationship with God that you have. And Jesus says to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be Now, did you hear that? He said, Father. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I took you to Romans 8 and talked to you about what that Father means. It's Abba. It means a relationship. But this is the first time that the disciples have heard this and this would have blown their mind. Coming to the creator of all things, the most holy of holies, and you're able to call him Dad. It's a relationship thing. You know, in the Old Testament, the Jews weren't even allowed to say God's name. Yahweh. They didn't even say it. They weren't allowed to. It was such a holy thing. But here yet, Jesus says to these Jewish guys, no, I'm going to bring you into a relationship where you actually say, Dad. Whew! That would have been stunning, wouldn't it? I think we find that a little bit hard. I mentioned to our growth group the other night, we find that a little bit, we don't almost have that concept of Australians of this sort of high up. Even Prime Minister Kevin Rudd's Ruddy Rudd Rudd. You know, we bring everything down, don't we? And even to the Queen almost, we go, oh, dear old Liz, we bring everything back. We don't quite have that concept of royalty and kingship, but the Jews did. And when it came to God, it was far above all of that. But yet Jesus says, you can call the creator of all Father. Stepping into God's presence, you have brought into him and without Jesus we couldn't do that. Without Jesus we don't have that relationship. But when we trust and believe in Jesus, we are brought into that type of relationship where we can call the creator of all things Dad. He invites us to say, Father. Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, we can only come to God through you. You see, this is a gospel prayer. This is a prayer that pulls everything together and says that you can come into God's presence. You have been brought into his presence through me, Jesus is saying. It's amazing, isn't it? It's a relationship. When Jesus says, Lord, teach us to pray, it's not the answer 101 ways to be a prayer warrior. It's not 1,001 ways to be Satan's worst enemy. It's not a methodology. 
It's a relationship. That is the beauty of this. The first word on prayer isn't about where or when or how. It's who. Father. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Talk to God. Call him Father. Talk to the Father about the Father. So first of all, we talk to him about him. I don't remember whether you remember, there was a beer ad a few years ago that said, let's talk about you. Well, let's not. Let's just talk about me. Left to ourselves, that's our prayer. Let's talk about me. So much, I think, of what we call Christian prayer these days actually isn't prayer at all. So much of this God, it's just the fact that we just pray about what we want, babbling on about our shopping lists, the knock and run prayer when you just quickly throw something out to him, even before you've met with him. Or addressing God like he's deaf and stupid. That if only God could see the world as clearly as we see it. If only he'd understand and come over to the good side. And you do our prayers sometimes go like this. Lord, we pray for the situation in communist China. Lord, communism is a system where the means of production is collectively owned. Does that honour God as God? He knows. Christian's prayer starts with God's name. That means with God's person, with his character and with his holiness. And the focus is his actions, not ours. Father, hallowed be your name. You, Lord, be known throughout the world is what that means. That people throughout the world will go, wow, God is great. That's what means hallowed be your name means. It's a gospel prayer, isn't it? It's saying that we want people through this community, people throughout this town, through this area, through this country, through this world, to say, God, you are great. That's what we want when we pray that prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We long to know you more and we long for you to be more widely known. Father, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come. We talk to the Father, we talk about his name, his person, and we talk about his kingdom, his plans. That's what it means here, your kingdom come. Father, fulfil your purposes. Come in salvation, come in judgement. May you be seen by all as king. May Jesus return, expose the reality of you to this world, is what we're praying when we do that. Your kingdom come. In three words, we pray for the end of the world. I can recall doing that a number of times in the middle of some exams. I can recall doing that just the other day in the middle of a traffic jam in Sydney. Whoever wants to live in Sydney? I reckon the only thing good about Sydney is if you live there, you just don't go anywhere. Because once you're on the roads, it's just, ah, it's crazy. Uh, have you heard the story about the man who was always praying if there was rugby union in heaven? Uh, and one day he got an answer from God and he said, yes, there is rug- rugby union in heaven and you're starting on the wing on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, but the problem with that joke, it isn't that funny in the end, is are we prepared for the end of the world? 
Are we preparing others for it? If we pray this prayer, then that's what we're asking. We focus on what really matters, the big picture, salvation, judgment, God's rule, God's mercy, God's return, the end of the world. Are you praying for the end of the world or are you immersed in trivia? As the prayer rolls off our lips, is it mere ritual or is it heartfelt? What if Jesus actually came back while you were praying this prayer? Would we notice? Well, my word, we would notice. But maybe in total shock that he actually did come back. We pray for God's kingdom to come. Do we want it? Do we want him to return and do we want all of humankind to know that? We better pray it for ourselves because when he returns, everyone's going to know it, everyone's going to be underneath it and everyone's going to be facing his judgment and we want to be praying that Then we want to pray it for ourselves too. I mean, it's two fair square feet. We want that to be ruled by him as well. We want him to rule us. Father, we pray for the end of the world. We commit ourselves to what matters, to your rule, to the gospel, to evangelism, to wanting to connect with the people of our community and seeing our community wanting to connect with Jesus. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. You know, the real problem with this part of it is how fast we get to it. I read the other day that one of the latest Mercedes goes from zero to 100 in less than four seconds, almost as fast as our little Corolla, but uh, not as fast or half as fast as often as we go to what we desire before we spend talking to God about who he is and what he desires. We get there in a single breath, don't we? Sometimes it's just immediately onto what we want God to do for us or what's happening to us. It's like strolling through the cosmic supermarket and asking God to bring out the things that we want him to do. But shouldn't we pray for our needs? Yes, Jesus encourages us to pray for our needs, but we need to pray first about God and who he is and his plans before we even think about bringing out our plans. Before we do want God to straighten out our desires, we do want God to move things. We do want to untangle our lives and God to do those things for us. But a gospel prayer, this prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray, says, first of all, think about God and who he is, his person and his plans, and then come on to what happens with us. Because when we're thinking about him first, then our plans and our desires will come more in line with his rather than ours. You see, we're not just praying for boring old bread. We're asking actually to see reality and our dependence upon God the way it should be, that we have nothing that isn't from him. And we want to be asking him to teach us and show us what are the things that we need, not our greeds. Give us what we really need is what we're asking when we're asking God to give us our daily bread. And then he goes on and says, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. 
You see, as we begin to see uh, the world from Jesus' eyes, as we see, begin to see reality from God's point of view, as we begin to see us from his point of view, we see that our greatest need is forgiveness. As we enter into real and honest relationship with God, then we enter into honest confession to him as well. And not just that oops prayer, I've mucked up this time, or that blanket prayer, forgive me for all my sins, Lord. That prayer is painless. It does nothing to change your heart. But here it says, confess your sins to the Father. Understand the hurt that it brings to others and to him. Name them. Look, Lord, I said I was going to spend time with my wife this week. I didn't, and I lied to her. Please forgive me. We need to see sin for what it is, as ugly sin. Then we need to see God's forgiveness for us, which is utter mercy. You see, this prayer is a gospel prayer. The gospel brings us many blessings, but the heart of the gospel is forgiveness for sins. And if you understand that, if you understand how much God has done for you in taking and removing and forgiving everything that you've ever done and will do to anyone else, then there is no way that you should not be able to forgive others. Not just tolerance, but not just sweeping things under the carpet, but heartfelt forgiveness. You see, failure to forgive each other isn't just a moral lapse. It's a denial of the gospel. It's cutting off the branch you're sitting on. It's not just a transaction, uh, I've forgiven him, Lord, now you forgive me. It's not bargain-based religion like that. It's about true repentance, about showing that we understand God's utter mercy to us and then offering forgiveness to those who have sinned against us. It's part of the good news, isn't it? It's part of the gospel. The gospel heals our relationship with God and heals our relationships with each other. Father, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Uh, Sort of an abrupt finish, isn't it? If you go to the Matthew version, it goes on a little bit further than that. But we think here that Jesus probably taught this prayer twice. The Matthew version, if you go back and have a look at it, and you'll do that in the growth groups on uh, Tuesday night, is in Matthew chapter 6. He's teaching a whole crowd of people. And he's teaching them about prayer on a general sense, and he brings this in. Here he's teaching to his 12 disciples. That's a more intimate example of what he's doing. And here he brings it in there. And he tells us here, Lord, ask God not to lead us into temptation. I don't know whether you've seen that T-shirt. It says, lead me not into temptation on the front. And then on the back it says, because I can find the way myself. You see, I think sometimes we have a fairly trivial view of sin, don't we? Of the devil and of temptation. Is that your attitude? Temptation trivial, sin small. Like children playing with fire, do we cherish and nurture sin? allowing the devil to tempt us into sin. But when we pray, it says, lead us not into temptation. I think there's a bigger picture to this because what does that do? Leads us into temptation, leads us into sin, leads us to fall away from God. Jesus 
whenever Jesus was around, he was being tempted. You see, right from the beginning of the gospel, he was tempted by Satan right after he was baptised. Throughout the gospel, Satan is trying to tempt him and drag him away from God. At Gethsemane, where Jesus warns of Satan's desires, as Jesus prays that agonising prayer of obedience, the disciples find spiritual peace in sleep. And what happens? They come in and take Jesus away to be crucified. So when the crisis comes, Jesus goes to the cross and triumphs and his sleeping friends fall away. Father, lead us not into temptation. Protect us from falling. It's a gospel prayer, isn't it? We are helpless, Lord. Only you can save us. Father, bring us to the kingdom. Don't let us fall victim to temptation. Lead us not into it, please, Lord. So what's your greatest need? What do you need most? What do I need most? What we need most is to be like Jesus, to have a relationship with the Father like Jesus. And that means that we are to pray like Jesus. Learn how to pray. Maybe we don't pray because we don't plan to pray. We don't set aside time. We, we can't, we don't, our mind goes wandering off. But I don't want to just call you to a new program this morning. You might have done that before and failed and you might have given up. What I want to call you to prayer and to pray is to have prayer like Jesus. Plan to pray, yes, but plan to pray like Jesus did. And why? Not because you've heard of a missionary that spent 172 hours of his life praying. Not because you've heard of the minister who's worn out a track up and down his hallway as he's walked and prayed. Those stories sound great but often make us feel guilty, don't they? Don't make your motive to pray guilt. Make it the gospel. Look back at the cross and see what Jesus has done. And we, that we, because of Jesus, we can call God Father. That God's name be hallowed because he saved us and we want that to, for everybody. That he guarantees his kingdom coming, that we want his rule to reign. And that he truly provides for us, he forgives us and he protects us. And allow this prayer to drive your gaze forward. Because the whole prayer has a forward-leaning look to it, doesn't it? Long to look for God's purposes to be revealed. Long for the day of salvation and judgment. To prepare to live for that day. And live now in the light of that day. And stay firm till that day. And look to Jesus. This is his prayer. Some ways you could probably call it the disciples' prayer, but really, this is the Lord's prayer. It's anchored in his life, in his cross, and in his future. Allow this prayer to knock down your pretensions, to get real with God, to be in that relationship with him. Jesus never gave this prayer to be a rote prayer, just so you just go over it mindlessly. Uh, in the Matthew example, he, gives, he, he says right before he gives the, that Lord's Prayer, he says, don't be like the ones that just go over this and over this and over and over this. 
This is a prayer about the gospel. Take what this is about and make it your own, is what he's saying. It's not a methodology. It's a relationship. That's what prayer is about. We are to be praying and speaking to God about who he is, about his plans, about his person and then asking that our lives are conformed to that and to him. Asking him to change us to be like Jesus. Can I encourage you to believe the gospel, to know your past, to know your future, to know Jesus and to pray like Jesus? That is our greatest need. Because as we pray like Jesus, then we will live like Jesus. Let's pray. Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Forgive us our sins, Lord, as we forgive those who sin against us. Give us our daily bread, Lord. Amen.